Hello and welcome to Start Your Week by the Bunker. I'm Alex Andreu and back with me to read the political entrails for the week ahead is Gavin Estler. Morning, Gavin. Good morning. Gavin, no doubt what the big box office event is this week for politics watchers like us. Boris Johnson is appearing in front of the Common Standards and Privileges Committee. Why is this evidence session seen as career-defining? Well, I'm hoping this will be a career-defining week for two of the most popular political figures in the world. Uh, Donald Trump's in trouble too, and Boris Johnson (laughs) is going to have an interesting time on Wednesday. I think the kickoff is at 2pm. It's supposed to last about four hours. It's the Commons Privileges Committee. And what's interesting about that committee is it's seven members, four of whom are Conservatives. And they seem to have reached the conclusion already, a pro tem conclusion, that Boris Johnson may have lied. This is, of course, extraordinary news. It's a absolute bombshell, apparently, to some people. (laughs) So the point is, they will interrogate Boris Johnson as to whether he did indeed lie about what he knew about parties and Downing Street. And Johnson is supposed to, according to some of the more compliant media, is about to publish a 50-page bombshell dossier. It's always a bombshell Mm -hmm. dossier. And the bombshell dossier, as I understand it at least, is going to say that he was told by his director of communications that everything is okay, absolutely tickety-boo. So Boris Johnson is going to say, I was only following orders or something. Um, And it wasn't (laughs) me, Gov, it was three other people and one was a big boy. You know, I, I have no idea what nonsense he'll come up with. I have to say, all, all the briefings and counter-briefings, the attacks on Sue Gray, this this dossier that keeps being briefed to the papers, statements from Johnson's legal team, all this doesn't seem to me to be coming from a team that is confident about its prospects, right? The, the, there is a hint of protesting a bit too much. Yes, and and also they are, I was going to say, playing the man, not the ball. They're playing the woman, not the ball, because Harriet Harman is the chair of this committee. And the four Tories seem to be perfectly happy with this. But Boris Johnson is suggesting that not only is Sue Gray biased against him, but Harriet Harman is biased against him as well, because she tweeted that he might have lied to Parliament already. You know, so it's very, it's very complicated. But in one sense, it's very simple. If they find out he lied, he could be suspended from Parliament for more than 10 days. If that happens, the good voters of Uxbridge, where Boris Johnson has appeared, I think, (laughs) I think you could count on the the fingers of one hand how recently, how often he he appears there. Uh, They could recall him and there could be an election. And as we know, the British public is, well, the British public seems to think that Boris Johnson's a liar. So whether he would ever be re-elected is um, um, difficult to say, but I would suggest that mm, this is the mm. week which will define whether he goes off uh, to spend more time with okay, other, other people's but, money. But the, okay, so but the committee has to recommend a particular sanction, and then the Commons have to approve it, right? They have to vote on it. So the committee only recommends. So even if we believe that this majority-controlled Conservative committee will uh, recommend uh, sanctioning Boris Johnson, and all it would take is one member to flip-flop on the Conservative side, will the Commons vote for that sanction? Rishi Sunak has said he will not whip his MPs 
to vote any particular way on possible sanctions. Can we read anything into that? I think we can, actually. I think Sunak is being very wise here. I, I think he is uh, he's basically saying to people, have you had enough of the Johnson chaos for three years where he, you know, he promised us everything and uh, delivered very little except more chaos, division in the party and so on. And I think, uh, it, well, obviously there's a number of hurdles to go through, but I think in saying it will be a free vote for Conservative MPs, he is not going down the stupid way that Johnson handled the Owen Paterson affair, if you can remember that yes. among all the many, the many scandals. You remember he, uh, there was Owen Paterson who was alleged to have taken money to lobby the government and Johnson tried to protect him. And that was in one of the one of the many, I suppose, bricks in the wall around Johnson that started to crumble. And so I think mm. Sunak has been very sensible in saying, we leave it up to the Privileges Committee and then we'll leave it up to the good judgment of UMPs. And I think there's enough within the Conservative Party who are so sick of, of, of Boris Johnson's antics that they would be quite happy yes. if he were to leave. Yes, he's effectively going to the, what the position was before the Johnson administration on this kind of vote, which is vote with your conscience. Um, and, and I find it very interesting that Rishi Sunak has shelved all major announcements for this week. So there were going to be announcements on apparently crime and policing. There were going to be announcements on uh, on education, but he shelved all of them. Now, one reading is that he knows that uh, all news will be consumed with the Johnson appearance. But there is another reading of this that he's saying to his MPs, until we get rid of him, basically, all our uh, electoral strategy and legislative program will be swallowed up by his antics. And I find that second reading to have quite a lot of credibility. Mike Johnson's appearance also reignite the debate on the BBC uh, chairman Richard Sharp uh, affair. Um, this committee can ask him anything, right? Yes, it can. And the, as you imply here, we're not talking about one lapse of judgment from Boris Johnson. We are talking about a pattern of sleaze which ran for his three years uh, as prime minister and actually before that too in different ways. So the Sharp affair is, uh, you know, the, the, the newspapers continue to, to, to dig on this. You know, a friend of his got a BBC job, Caroline Daniel, and nobody did anything wrong apparently. Uh, but there is the links between these two for many decent Conservative MPs suggest that they really would like to put the Johnson fiasco behind them and move on and hope that Sunak will be more competent. So I think that is the big story. And Sharp, I mean, it amazes me, astonishes me that he is still in position. If he had any shame, he'd have resigned. But presumably that's, mm. a, that's a question for him. Yeah. There was some uh, uh, polling overnight by Savanta that found 67% of voters say Johnson shouldn't wait to be punished and should quit his seat if he's found to have lied, and only 21% uh, believe he should stay on. Well, you know, you know the old saying in politics that he had every virtue except resignation. <laughs> so he, there's no <laughs> way he's going to go. Uh, you know, he'll be going kicking and screaming because his ego wouldn't help him. And we, we'll all mm. feel sorry for him, no doubt. Okay, so that's Britain Trump done. What about the American original that you mentioned? He's in quite a bit of trouble too. He tweeted, no, sorry, he truthed 
that he expects to be arrested on Tuesday. What, what's this about? Well, I think he's getting his retaliation in first. I mean, the, the, the great story about him, of course, is he has done for the Republican Party what uh, Johnson has done for the Conservative Party, which is open up all its fault lines and uh, cause them real, real problems. As we saw in the midterm elections, everybody wrote off Joe Biden. Joe Biden did a lot better than it, or at least the Democratic Party rather, did a lot better than expected. So what we are expecting this week is Trump has said, uh, protest, take our nation back. He He's, he's, he's saying on his, um, his, his own sort of Twitter type channel, what we think is going to happen is that there could be, there could be an arrest there could, uh, in terms of some of the, well, it almost reminds me of, 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 the, of, of Al Capone in the 30s. It wasn't all the things that the, the, the bad things that got him in the end. It was, in his case, tax evasion. In t- Trump's case, yeah. it seems to be relatively small sums of money that he may or may not have paid to Stormy Daniels, a porn actress with whom he's supposed to have had an affair, uh, and a, another woman called Karen McDougall, who's also a porn actress. So it's all it's all high-quality stuff that you would have got from George Washington and uh, any of the great <laughs> figures of American politics. It is just... It is so shabby and so shoddy. And we shall see whether millions take to the streets or whether everybody goes, well, finally, the great orange gibbon has got what he deserved. We shall see. Okay, back on more substantive matters. There appear to be some deals on pay. There appears to be a negotiated outcome uh, when it comes to NHS workers, although not every union is recommending their members take the deal. And although I have seen a lot of anger from members themselves, other strike situations look like perpetual stalemates. Is there a danger for unions that if popular professions like nurses are picked off, then you're left with with uh, people who are in a weaker position, actually, than they were before. I think that is a good point. Uh, I, I would say one thing. I, I don't know whether you have been, as I have, been impressed by the quality of, of some of the trade union leaders uh, when they go on mm. television or, or radio. They sound, they speak human. Uh, and whether they're, you know, whatever amount they finally negotiate and how that works, that's uh, that's difficult to say. But they do sound very often relatable because we all understand what people are going through so that's their biggest selling point actually i mean i hate the fact i can't get on a train when i want to but i I, having talked talked with a lot of train workers i absolutely understand uh, why they're doing what they're doing the danger is you're right that we all we all love nurses and we all think that we shouldn't just clap for carers we should we should fund the nhs most people think we should fund the nhs properly. So there is a danger. On the other hand, you know, everything about our public life or that which is funded by public money seems to be rotten at the moment. I mean, I've just had, I've had more punctures in my car in the past couple of years because of potholes than than I've had in the rest of my life. I've had three, unbelievably. Um, So, so, you know, over a decade of zero capital investment will do that to a country. I think think you've hit on it. That's the clue there, isn't it? Isn't it, Alex? Yeah. And and I guess there is also a risk for government that once they have done a deal for X percent with one sector, say nurses, not offering at the very least the same to, say, teachers, 
looks like they're valuing one profession over the other on a pretty arbitrary basis. So I guess we'll see how it shakes up. Now, the Scottish National Party is continuing to feel the aftershocks of Nicola Sturgeon's resignation. Her husband, who was party chair, also resigned at the weekend. Polls are showing that support for the SNP is holding firm, though. So is everyone waiting to see who gets elected? Or is their support so firmly rooted in the cause of independence that actually the figurehead doesn't doesn't matter? Well, I think I think a couple of things. One is, you know, if you've a political party that has been effectively running Scotland, uh, sometimes in more or less a kind of coalition with others, but but if you've been running Scotland since 2007, there comes a time when you will look tired and need a change. So I think that time has come now. I'd also say that Nicola Sturgeon's just 52 years old. Uh, she could come back in a few years uh, if, if she felt felt like it. And the party itself, party membership was huge. Was huge in Scotland. I think there was 125 mm. or 127,000 members, which is which is absolutely huge. I mean, it's almost the same number in Scotland as uh, as Conservative Party members who actually voted for for, for the leader of our country, the, the of the United Kingdom. Oh, yeah. So so they so to lose some doesn't seem to me to be terribly surprising. The one thing I would say, I I don't know who who's going to be elected, um, whether they choose Hamza Youssef, who's seen as the continuity candidate or not. But what what strikes me is that the problem for the Scottish National Party is that the Tories in government when you're in Scotland people have not voted a majority of people have not voted for the Conservative Party since 1955 they're an easy target when you've got the Tories Mm. in Westminster if Labour wins the next election that is the for me not an existential threat to the to the SNP but it makes it very difficult to make for them to make the case for independence particularly if Labour rebuilds a bit in Scotland where they've done dismally in recent years so there's that to me is the biggest picture and you could say that whoever whoever takes over may be just the leader to get them through that very difficult period and it's not that it's not that uh, independence support for independence has dipped hugely um, it's just that the, 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 the leaders of that movement have changed. And that movement is energised by the fact that some people in Scotland think Westminster is completely, you know, sclerotic, out of date and doesn't represent them. And as long as... For good reason, I would say. <laughs> well, I was going to say, and it's not just, it's not just them. Uh, so, so, um, so... Uh, I, I, I'm not sure who who, who will um, lead the party. I don't think this is an existential matter. And I remember just after uh, the Scottish National Party lost the 2014 referendum on independence, Alex Salmond gave me a copy of the book he'd written, and the book's title is The Dream Shall Never Die. So I wouldn't <laughs> write off the SNP if I were you. OK, now briefly, um, Labour are trying a vote in the Commons to overturn the pension cap abolition in the budget. They know they will lose. Um, so why try? Uh, why try? Because it's very easy for them to say, oh, why are you giving a break to all these rich people? Uh, there's a lot of people that uh, in, uh, you know, red wall seats that should be voting for us that will notice that it's, it's, it's the rich people that are getting the breaks. Typical Tories. That, that's, that's what they will say, I think.
Uh-huh. So it's about pinning pinning the measure to particular MPs, basically. I, I think so. And whereas the Conservatives will mm. say, but we're trying to get more people back into the NHS. Uh, and Labour will say, well, you're getting a few people back. Uh, the way to do it is to pay more to, and also to change the way that nurses training works and all that sort of stuff. So it's a, it's a, mm. it's a classic wedge issue and uh, Labour will make the most of it. Uh, on lost votes, there's also debate and vote on the storm and break aspect of the Windsor framework on Wednesday. Now, Labour will support that, so it will go through despite this Tory backbench rebellion. So again, why are they doing that? Well, the, gr- the great division within the Conservative Party remains uh, exactly how to handle Brexit. It's always been there. And I think it'd be quite interesting to see what the Democratic Unionist Party of Northern Ireland also does, because the DUP have become, they will hate this comparison, but they've become that famous phrase of Abba Ibn about the uh, Palestinians. They never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And the DUP have mm-hmm. voted against every form of Brexit that is available, including a no-deal Brexit, while apparently being in favour of Brexit. So um, we, we will see who is, who is exposed <laughs> in this, and I suspect the DUP may again be exposed. And they have had a remarkable time in the past few years. I mean, how would you have believed a few years ago that the DUP would have been so inept that the biggest party in Northern Ireland is Sinn Féin? And I think that's what they really worry about. What they really, the DUP are really worried that the Stormont will restart and Sinn Féin will prove at least reasonably competent in running Stormont. And that would be a real problem for them. Mm, yes, some papers are reporting that the DUP is meeting today, actually, to discuss the findings of the team it uh, appointed to report on the deal. So we may well get an indication of what they think of the deal on Wednesday or even before that. Now, today's also the anniversary of the beginning of the Second Iraq War. Labour's Dan Jarvis, uh, who is a, a, a veteran of the armed forces, has an adjournment debate commemorating the fallen in the Commons with fellow former veteran Johnny Mercer replying for the Conservatives. Why is this still of such huge importance in this country 20 years on? I think it will be of historical importance um, in a century from now, because if you think about what happened in the 1990s, there was peak Western hubris. Liberal democracy triumphed everywhere, we told ourselves. And, you know, it was the end of communism and so on. And then in 2003, this, uh, this adventure in which the British tagged on with the Americans. For, I, I can understand the, the, the reasons why Tony Blair did this in an absolute disastrous war on the wrong premise that somehow Saddam Hussein was in any way connected with with 9-11. And we will look back on that as the peak of hubris and that we would go into a country of which the Americans clearly didn't know at all what they were dealing with. And the result has been horrendous in terms of Islamic terrorism, in terms of uh, the rise of Shia separatism and the divisions within Arab communities, in terms of what's happening in Lebanon, in terms of the rise of of Iran. Um, Mm. So it it is a major, uh, it seems to me, it was horrific for the people of Iraq and other people too, including Yazidis and others, because of what happened subsequently. And we will continue to reap, unfortunately, um, some of the horrible results of that for many years to come, which is why it's historically important, it seems to me. Mm. Now, finally, uh, Baroness Case's report on culture and standards at the Met uh, Police is also out this week. Uh, I hear from my contacts Tuesday, is the publication 
date. Uh, we don't know what it will say, but everything that has been briefed to newspapers suggests it's going to be a bit of a bloodbath. Um, the, there's a Telegraph scoop today that it will recommend the Met disband the elite parliamentary and diplomatic protection unit where both cousins and serial rapist David Carrick worked. Um, so maybe, um, you know, some good action will come of this. Now, let's move to a couple of international stories briefly. In the world of banking, um, UBS is taking over uh, Credit Suisse. How unusual is this takeover and why is it happening? Why did it happen on a Sunday uh, afternoon? Why is it happening on a Sunday afternoon? Obviously, the markets are closed. That's the, the reason I, I am. <laughs> I'm tempted to say what a load of bankers. I mean, you know, the, the, it seems that some people who are professional bankers thought that they could um, borrow cheaply and uh, lend long and then find out that they had to repay the, the, the loans as, mm. you know, mortgage owners up and down this country are finding uh, now as fixed rate mortgages come to an end. It's hugely important. I mean, the, the Credit Suisse is a, a globally systemic bank. That means it's, it, it's one of, I think, about three dozen or something, 30, I think it is, um, banks which are very important to the banking system. So it's important that they don't go under. And as you will hear, every bank around the world is now saying there's nothing wrong with the banking system. It's all fine, which always scares me. <laughs> so I, 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 let's, yes. let, let's hope it calms down because we will all be affected if, if this gets worse. Yes. I mean, it, the interesting thing is that UBS has been eyeing Credit Suisse for years and it's the Swiss competition authorities that have been saying absolutely not, because they're the two biggest banks in Switzerland. I mean, quite aside from being global players and plugged into every investment system, they're the two biggest banks in Switzerland. And so the idea of merging them into basically just having one Uber bank um, is incredibly anti-competitive. And it was the Swiss authorities that now went to UBS and said, you know, you've been trying to buy them for years. Could you do it now? Yeah, I think I think panic among uh, the regulators in Switzerland is better than pack, panic in the markets. And that's what they've decided. Yes. So they've got, you're absolutely yes. right, Alex. Well, we shall see what the markets do today. Uh, banking shares in Asian markets overnight fell heavily. Um, we seem to have avoided another almost global financial crisis for now. But then again, we were saying exactly the same thing last Monday when HSBC took over um, uh, Silicon Valley Bank's uh, UK arm. So maybe we're looking at a, a sort of slow rolling contagion. Also in the international stage, Putin has been charged by the ICC and a warrant for his arrest has been issued. Um, he visited the uh, Crimean Peninsula and even Mariupol, we think, although it's very difficult to verify from the angles that he was shot, um, uh, sending his own message. Will this make any difference in practice to him? I, I think it might. I mean, it, it, he's not going to be, un unfortunately... Um you know, taken off to The Hague and, and we'll see him in the dock, I don't think. But um, but what it does do is it says if you are uh, President Xi of China and you are trying to establish China as a global world power, how close in your visit to uh, Moscow uh, this week do you want to be to someone who is facing these horrendous charges? So I think I think that 
that in itself is important. And as for the visit mm. to Mariupol, you know, I wouldn't put it past them to have green screen and a complete stage. You know, the, uh, who knows what comes out of uh, Russian propaganda? And yeah. so, so, so we, we we don't know about that. But uh, he's he's obviously doing it because he wants to be seen on television doing something prior to this very important visit with Xi. And that's, that's to me, one of the biggest stories of the week, although whether we'll ever really find out what's going on behind the scenes, uh, I don't know. Yes, I mean, I've heard some analysts suggest that China is quite happy with the situation as it is currently. It will sort of not pull out its support completely, but not also not go in any further. Let's hope. Let's hope that's the case, because I think after the Chinese spy balloon incident in the States and a U.S. drone being downed over the Black Sea, it just feels like we are one accident or one overreaction away from huge escalation. And we are relying basically on on the States, China and Russia to talk tough, but know when to stop, which seems to me quite a tricky situation to be in um, as a as a globe. Um, I, I know Johnson will be hoping the World War Three starts on Wednesday morning, but we shall see. <laughs> but I think, um, I think just uh, one, very, very briefly on that, I think that's why the Iraq war legacy is so important, because I think Xi mm. and Putin, and Putin in particular, thought the West was weak and stupid. And and that's why Putin, one of the reasons why Putin thought he could get away with Ukraine. One final, final story to mention briefly, heap of trouble in France over pension reforms. Although demonstrations were quieter this uh, weekend, just gone compared to the week before. Why is Macron pushing this? Well, uh, well, I I think we should remind ourselves that what he's pushing is to raise the uh, retirement age to less than that it, that it's been in Britain for years. I mean, we would be quite astonished mm. if it happened here. Uh, he, I think he's pushing it because it was one of the prep, uh, one of the um, platforms on which he was he was reelected and he genuinely believes it. And it is, you know, I, th- I think what I find, find extraordinary and I love it rather about France is there is a sense of solidarity here, you know, to retire at the age of 64 if you're an academic or something else is clearly fine, but the French the French protesters are saying, but if you're doing that and you're a cleaning lady or you're working in a, a you know in a, in a rough job, a difficult job, then that's that's not fair. And there is a sense of solidarity in in France which we don't seem to have. I mean, I'm not I'm not suggesting we should all take to the streets in Britain, but we are quite complacent and almost complicit in some of the things that are done to us. They're not like that. And compliant. And compliant. Yeah, lots of things beginning with com. Yes. Gavin, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, uh, Listeners, if you enjoy The Bunker, you can back us on Patreon to help us keep making it. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just search Bunker Patreon Podcast. You'll get every episode early and ad-free, plus a shout-out in this very show. And here's Gavin with today's. Yes, today's shout-out. Michael Garvey, Matta Rosenberg, Nick and Paul Franzini. My thanks. I'm Alexandre. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. Start Your Week from the Bunker was written and presented by Alexandreou with Gavin Esler. The producer was Kasia Tomashevich. The lead producer is Jacob Jarvis with audio production by me, Jay Bailey. 
The group editor is Andrew Harrison, with music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. Thank you.